Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. One of the great benefits or advantages of uh, being a Catholic is that the Church has a very exalted view of human reason. In fact, it's got the most developed understanding of human reason in any of the Christian traditions. And it also, uh, through the great work of Thomas Aquinas and others, we have a beautiful synthesis of faith and reason, of uh, reason and revelation. And so here we are, 21st century, and we are faced with our culture is throwing all kinds of questions up at us, dealing with, uh, well, eugenics uh, is coming back on the scene, uh, ongoing discussion of contraception, uh, questions about infertility, certainly physician-assisted suicide. Now we're looking at uh, what Time magazine calls the next great civil rights movement, uh, transgenderism. And we're not on our own to have to figure out right and wrong here. Uh, we are part of a community that has been thinking together, trying to discern the mind of Christ. And uh, we also have, I'm glad to say, a a very well-written, popular, sound presentation uh, to these moral questions of our time. It's a book called Matters of Life and Death. And uh, its author, Dr. Gerard uh, Verschuren, is my guest. Uh, He is, in fact, a scientist, a writer, speaker, consultant. He's been working at the interface of science and religion and creation, evolution, and faith and reason for many, many years. And uh, again, the book is called Matters of Life and Death, A Catholic Guide to the Moral Questions of Our Time. Dr. Versheeran, thank you so much for being with me. Hi, Al. My pleasure to talk about matters of life and death for Day Matter. Well, we can we can know right and wrong, right? We're not left just guessing. We can know. We can certainly know. As I always say, we know the laws of nature, but we also know that there is a certain order of morality in the world. Even Socrates, who uh, who was not a Christian, of course, he said it's always wrong. It's always wrong to do the right. No, it's always right to do the wrong? Of course not. Neither one of them is right. (laughs) We have to do what is right. And uh, as you said at the beginning in your introduction, uh, the Catholic Church is a church of faith and reason. We use reason to find out what is right. And somehow we, uh, we know that from the very beginning, and all we have to do is stick to it. We need a compass in life to find the way where we, where we could easily get lost. What do we mean by natural law? The natural law is the way our nature is constituted by the Creator. We can, by the way human beings are, we can find out what is right or wrong, what is built into our nature. Uh, we, we have to, to realize that the human nature is essentially unchanging. We try to change it with all kinds of biological tricks, mm-hmm. but the, the rules of nature are as important as the rules of morals. And all we have to do is look at ourselves and our physiology and the way we were built, and we can find out what is right and what is wrong. And the natural law tells us by looking at our nature, at the, the order of morality, we can find out what we should do. 
Now, what's the relationship between what we call common sense and our perception of the natural law? Common sense is something that we were given and that we are almost losing, unfortunately. As, uh, as we, uh, I always use the example, um, that is a joke, um, it, it says don't touch anything in a physics lab, don't taste anything in a chemistry lab, <laughs> don't smell anything in a biology lab, and I'm going to add to it, don't believe anything in a philosophy department. So philosophers have been great in stopping all kinds of common sense. But thanks to Thomas Aquinas, our great saint and doctor of the church, we know that there is common sense. And it tells us that there is some kind of physical order in nature. Stones that fall today will also fall tomorrow. What is wrong today will also be wrong tomorrow. Though some people say don't believe it, and those are the philosophers that I say don't believe them. Morality, uh, what we call morality, is is indi- morality is independent of our wishes. In other words, there is something called objective right and objective wrong. Is that right? Oh, certainly. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Yeah, there is definitely something about morality. We 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 have been. I always call them traps. We have been trapped by all kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, it says morality comes from past experiences. Don't don't believe it. You don't have to kill first before before you know that king is wrong. Or or some say it it comes from the animal world. Um, I am a human biologist, but I know enough about the animal world that there is no morality in the animal world. Otherwise, animals would have a tough life. They couldn't even kill each other. Uh, And then there is another trap that I call it. It comes from our genes. Forget it. There is no gene for what is right or wrong. For otherwise, we wouldn't have a problem uh, saying something is, is wrong because the genes tell us that it's right. Of course not. Genes right. don't tell us anything like that. Or, and it's also wrong to say that it's d- done by upbringing, training, disciplining, or education. It's not a matter of... We have to educate people, of course, and we have to help them with common sense but it is not a matter of training. Right. I mean, the, we, we, we train, I mean, our parents or our teachers teach us the multiplication table, but that doesn't mean the multiplication table is just an invention of our parents yeah. or our teachers. Correct. That is a perfect analogy. Uh, the laws of nature, like gravity, they were not taught to us, yes, in physics class. But we knew that if you drop something, it falls. So uh, the same with with morality, with Mm -hmm. morals, matters of life and death. Uh, It it is not a matter of training or disciplining. Discipline helps to keep strict to it because sometimes our will ignores what it knows for the mind, Mm -hmm. for reason. Mm -hmm. You know, the will is very strong sometimes to go against it for whatever reason. Sometimes it's, it's lust. Sometimes is what we have been told all the time, mm-hmm. but we know deep down that there is something wrong with it. Yeah. So it, uh, morality is, is a matter of objectivity. And, and even people who don't believe that morals are objective, they have one important absolute rule, never disobey your conscience. Yes. Where the heck does that come from? <laughs> <laughs> right. 
that, that's unbelievable. Uh, I, I know the, the Nazis were good people because they followed their conscience, yeah, really. <laughs> uh, doctors who uh, follow their conscience, they, they can be abortion doctors. Pro-lifers are following their conscience. But there is something wrong with that conscience because the conscience is what I always call our compass, but a compass has to be aligned with the magnetic field. That's right. And at the moment, it's no longer aligned with the magnetic field. We have to adjust it. And what is our magnetic field in morality? As you mentioned at the beginning, it is the natural law. We can read it in our bodies, in our nature. And that's why basically all cultures, except the modern culture of relativists, they know that certain things are wrong. Yeah. Don't do to others what you don't want to be done to yourself, says the old golden rule. And even in, uh, in, in Hinduism, we find those rules. We yes. find them in, uh, in Islam, and, and you go wherever you want. Uh, some people would say that uh, discerning morality or perceiving morality is, uh, is more intuitive and aesthetic than it is rational. How do you respond to them? Um, if, if you think that morality, and I'm not saying you, but if people <laughs> think that morality is a matter of intuition, then we have a real problem. For you and I have very often different intuitions. Mm -hmm. It's like I have the intuition that one and one is two, but someone else may say one and one is three. Okay, let them think that. But the problem is, if you, if you, uh, I always say, if you try to build a bridge, and you are an engineer, and you're following your intuition, that's a good thing to a certain point. But if you ignore the laws of nature, your bridge will collapse before even anyone stepped on it. Mm -hmm. And that's the same with uh, the natural law, with morality. It's not a matter of intuition. So if you follow your intuition, you could be in for a lot of surprises. And do we want that? I, I don't think you. So uh, George Bernard Shaw, he was one of those. He said uh, different morals are different tastes, as if there are many moralities. Well, if yeah. it were really a matter of intuition or taste, no further discussion would be possible, and we could all do whatever we want to do. But in the meantime, all those relativists who intuitionists, they claim that you cannot do this, you cannot do that, you have to acknowledge the rights of uh, mothers who are pregnant. Why do we have to do that? How do they know? If, if it's all a matter of intuition, right. I would say forget right. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. What, what do you do uh, with those who accuse us of uh, the, the, what's called the is-ought fallacy, that uh, by uh, discovering what is, we derive some sort of ought from it? Uh, in other words, how do we turn a description of what is into a prescription of what to do? Yeah, it's a it's a very old debate, yeah. isn't it? And it's uh, and many people have heard about it, but they don't quite know what to do with it. And that's why you're asking a very important question. You know, it's um, uh, 
they don't know what to do with that. They call it the naturalistic fallacy. Right. Yeah. It says you can never derive uh, what ought to be done from what is. If if x x is found in nature, then x is natural and therefore x is good. Um, yeah, some people might think that the natural law of Thomas Aquinas equates to that, but that that does not make things good. So there have been many ways to say that there is no naturalistic fallacy. Uh, I think one of the of the I'll tell you what, uh, uh, Dr. Bashir, hold on just a second here because uh, I hear the music coming up and I want to come back and make sure we have time to do this uh, effectively. So hang in there, we're going to take a break and we'll come back and pick up on this naturalistic fallacy, the is-ought problem, and uh, how uh, St. Thomas Aquinas has been accused of it. Good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta. With me is Dr. Gerard Verschuren. He's the author of Matters of Life and Death, A Catholic Guide to the Moral Questions of Our Time. We've been talking a little bit about right and wrong and uh, natural law and how we, uh, and the role of reason in uh, determining uh, what is right and wrong. And we, uh, you've heard it said, and you write about this in the book, that uh, People accuse St. Thomas Aquinas of committing a fallacy, uh, the so-called is-ought fallacy, which um, says that uh, he tries to derive how things ought to be from the way things are. So there's a natural law that can be described, and yet that is used as a way of telling us of prescribing how we ought to live. And you were beginning to talk about uh, why Thomas Aquinas doesn't fall into this fallacy when we had to take the break. So I throw it back to you, Doctor. Yeah, Thomas Aquinas doesn't make that mistake. He he didn't know about the is-ought fallacy at that time, but he's he's protecting himself by making first a, a general rule what we should do in morality. And then from then on, he, he uses that like a principle of practical reasoning, like uh, we, we find that with uh, Kant, the philosopher Kant, who used a, a practical reasoning, uh, but not in morality, unfortunately. But something similar is what Aquinas does. There have been many ways of showing that Aquinas did not fall into that fallacy. I personally think that the best explanation came from Pope Benedict XVI. Mm, okay. uh, he, he, he said uh, one time, the ought does flow from the is. Why? Because once we know who God is and what a human being is, created in God's image and likeness, certain oughts do flow from what is. Mm-hmm. It's like with a watch. A watch has to show the time. Otherwise, it's not doing what it was made for. And so we have to do what God put in our nature, in our bodies, in our minds. Otherwise, we, uh, we are not doing what should be done, what ought to be done. So from is, from the way God is and the way we are, certain odds flow from what is. And I think that is the best explanation. 
explanation why there is no is-ought fallacy here. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about uh, a popular uh, moral principle uh, that was used, especially around the turn uh, from the 19th to 20th century, and that is the principle of social Darwinism, that somehow uh, what is is evolutionary process, the survival of the fittest, therefore uh, we are obligated to uh, let the strong survive. What's wrong with that? You think there's something wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm glad you think it, it's wrong. I, I do too, of course. <laughs> and, you know, I, uh, I admire Darwin in a certain way. Sure. But Darwin was a biologist. He right. was not a philosopher. Right. He was not a theologian. But the problem with Darwin is that he thinks that his biological approach explains everything else, as if there is nothing but biology. Right. right. Uh, he, uh, and, and because he, he was not a good philosopher, he, he kept falling for his own fallacies. And that's where I disagree with him. So at the moment, the Darwinism becomes real evolutionism, that means that everything in this world is the result of natural selection, mm-hmm. and we have a problem. First of all, how does he come to that rule? That is not science anymore. Science can never prove that natural selection is the only thing that counts in life. So that is already a, a philosophical viewpoint, a metaphysical viewpoint. I would say it's an ideological viewpoint in case of Darwin. Uh, Darwin was, uh, I think he was very dubious in, in, in a lot of those things. Was he a, a, a eugenicist, someone who says that we should breed human beings like we should breed animals? Mm-hmm. That means we, we can kill them, we can breed them, we can do whatever we want. Um, he doesn't really say that too explicitly, but... I must say, in his book about uh, the origin of, of human beings, he, he does tend to that view, but he's very careful of saying it. But the fact that a lot of his relatives and his sons became involved with eugenics, right. it tells the whole story. I think that gave him away. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems to be the natural unfolding of his presuppositions. And let's yeah. talk a little bit about eugenics, because uh, it, while it became, uh, the, the, it became very unpopular after the Second World War and the discovery of uh, Hitler's euthanasia plans and other, uh, his, his, other, uh, his eugenic experiments, uh, there are many people now, the transhumanist movement, which seems to be trying to refurbish the concept of eugenics, and this is, as you write, the set of beliefs and practices aimed at improving the genetic quality of the human population. And first of all, you distinguish between negative eugenics and positive eugenics. What's the difference? Yeah, it's a very theoretical distinction, but I think it's important to, to at least mention it. The negative form is aimed at preserving genetic disease, at preventing genetic diseases. So um, if, uh, let's take the famous case of Down syndrome, uh, we, the, for a lot of people think that is a genetic disease, and it is, of course, mm-hmm. but a disease doesn't mean that you are not a human being. Right. Uh, if, if that were the case, a lot of people would be in trouble, So we all have certain kind of diseases. So uh, that is what the, the negative kind does. It prevents genetic diseases. The positive form 
is promoting certain genetic features, like uh, the Nazis did. Uh, they had to promote the, the, the ideal Aryan human being, mm -hmm. and that usually means that all the others are in trouble. So uh, that's a distinction that you uh, asked for. Yes. I made it in my book, uh, Matters of Life and Death, and I go into both kinds. They both have advantages, disadvantages, but I must say mostly disadvantages. This, this, the, the positive eugenics uh, movement uh, is, is an attempt to look for uh, the, the, the perfect child, the designer child, the uh, perfect human being. And... Um, you write, uh, quoting from Pope Benedict XVI, that man will always be greater than all that which makes up his body. Uh, yes. is, is eugenics primarily then concerned about um, preserving the, the, the best physical uh, form of the human, or are they also trying to... Um, create a kind of an intellectual eugenics movement? They think they are doing both. Okay. But, uh, but, but a lot of um, intellectual features that we have are not genetic. So um, I, um, I explained in, a, in one of my other books that there is no gene for morality, there is no gene for rationality, uh, uh, there is no gene for religion. And I try to explain it there. I, I don't want to go in here, so you would you sure. would kill me. <laughs> so uh, it's uh, it's not a good thing to do. But uh, to 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 think that we can improve intellectual qualifications is very dubious, because uh, the intellect is is a gift that is not that comes from God, made in His image, because He is reason with a capital R, and and we are made in that image. But we don't have the same reason as he does, of course, but we can at least try to get closer. Mm -hmm. But that is not in the genes. So if, if some people think that they can improve that, like they do in nowadays, in the, as, as you mentioned already, in the, in the technology sphere, uh, th there is no reason to think that that is possible. Uh, so the, and besides, they make a distinction between body and what Catholics would call the soul, to distinguish them that way is not fair. Bodies are always ensouled, and souls are always, souls are always embodied. Hmm. So we, we are not living in a, in a body like in a prison. Right. We, right. Uh, we are our body, and our body is connected with our soul, mm -hmm. as Thomas Aquinas would definitely stress too. But that is a very Catholic view. And, and nowadays, uh, you mentioned already the, the gender issue, we very often think that uh, human beings are trapped in their body. Right. We are not trapped in our body. We are our body. And we cannot deny the body we have. But that is part of our soul, or our soul is part of our body. So each time people like, uh, um, yeah, I, I always mention her, is that, that Margaret Sanger, mm -hmm. the founder of Planned Parenthood Federation, she was one of those eugenicists. And she would always claim that as long as we focus on the body, and that's what she does, of course, in her Planned Parenthood followers, mm -hmm. then, then we are all set. No, of course, we are not. We, we are ensouled bodies or embodied souls, whatever you want to call it. 
So if anyone says that someone is not worth to be living, then I would say, who makes that decision? You. But don't you <laughs> decide on my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, does it, from your perspective, does it look as though we're going to have, uh, we're entering a, a more and more of a, a time of battle uh, surrounding these fundamental moral questions? Uh, is, is the Catholic point of view less and less respected today than it was 70, 80 years ago? Oh, yes, I, I, I think it definitely is. Yeah. Uh, but, but as I said before, uh, we, we can try, like I, I try to do in my book, Matters of Life and Death, we can to give it a basis, a rational basis, mm-hmm. and, uh, and faith and reason. But if the will is not willing to accept that reasoning, there is no hope. It's like with atheism. You can tell an atheist anything you want, and you can have all your arguments for pro and con religion. If they are not willing to look at the world with God in the picture, right. there is no way you can ever convince them. Right. Right. Um, interestingly enough, I, I always mention uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, the, the French philosopher, who was a, a very strong, belligerent atheist. Mm-hmm. At the end of his life, and he was still in very good condition, all of a sudden he said, I was meant by my creator to be the person I am. Unbelievable. <laughs> From a dedicated atheist. I know. Finally had convinced his own will yeah. that he should follow rationality. Yeah. Dr. Bershuren, I'm out of time. Thank you so much. Matters of Life and Death, A Catholic Guide to the Moral Questions of Our Time. I highly recommend it to you. We have it available in our online bookstore.